Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a licensed nutritionist. I'm an exercise physiology professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a run strength yell. I'm a strength coach. I'm also a competitive athlete and a bunch of other stuff. So that's me. Hi, Dr. Mike T. Nelson, owner of Extreme Human Performance, uh, faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, and like Lonnie, I'm finishing up grading stuff for finals week. Oh, yeah, always a joy. You know, it, yeah. as I look through some of these, there's like 25 of these term projects that I'm looking at, and this is relevant to listeners, because when you look at how college students eat, oh boy, you know, oh. like... <laughs> I, I tell them, I'm not the nutrition police. I'm not going to grade this on what you choose to eat, right? It's more about the analysis and whatnot. But um, just every semester, and I've been doing this for 15 years, over 15, and um, the things that really jump out is the fact that they eat like single-digit grams of fiber every day. They just, there's no fiber. It, it, they don't eat it, you know. They live on fast food or they're sort of vic victimized in a sense by eating on campus. It might be fun to do an episode sometime just called Eating on Campus because it affects, <laughs> you know, there's sort of these social structural things that affect how they eat. But, yeah, they eat no fiber. They eat copious, copious amounts of sodium. And it's not something I used to worry about. Um, but the more I read about sodium, it's a little bit more detrimental than you, you, you think, you know. And these guys are, wow. Anyway. All right. Um, I have one little piece of listener mail. I know uh, Dr. Nelson and I have a study. Then we're going to start a mini-series after the break, uh, supplement and food strategies that work, essentially. There's so much crap out there, and I think people are always bombarded with too many diets and too many supplements. So we're just going to tell you what essentially we like, but what's evidence-based. Uh, okay. This first one is from Ryan. Thanks for the feedback, Ryan. Uh, I had asked about some uh, guys that emailed us. Uh, they do another podcast, and they would like to be on our show. This is actually the third suggestion because a lot of these podcasts, they hire a social media person. They say, hey, can, we'd like to be on your show. And um, But Ryan said... Let's see. I couldn't find any other email address, so I used this one. You asked about listener opinions of the Mind Pump podcast. Uh, so as a guest, uh, being a guest, that is. So I listened to their latest episode, um, and I couldn't finish it, he said. Uh, he, I'm not going to go on into some of the details or try to keep this as positive as possible, but he said it's a little bit too frat brother uh, kind of approach. Um, he said, I love what you guys do at Iron Radio. Thanks for always having great episodes and topics that matter. So I, I still haven't given that other podcast a listen. I want to try to give everyone a fair shake, though. I mean, I know it's not for everyone, right? We have listeners. Some are much more on the meathead end of the spectrum, and they don't really want to listen to Dr. Nelson and I ramble or Phil about some recent study that we saw. And then there's the eggheads, and they're all about the, the recent studies, 
you know, so I get that we can't please everybody. It sounds like these guys are just a little bit more bro talk kinds of stuff, but I, I'll still try to look into it. And I guess I'm just saying thanks, Ryan, for the feedback because it does help. I, it, we're a little bit isolated, I guess, at Iron Radio in that we don't appear on tons of other podcasts. I've done a few throughout the years, but we haven't really had other podcasters on ours, maybe once or twice. So, so thank you, yeah, Ryan. I did listen to their show a couple of times, and I liked it when they had uh, different guests, and it was a little bit more on topic. Um, I will confess that I've only listened to, I think, one show that didn't have a guest, and it tended to kind of ramble a little bit too much for me, based you know, just based on my personal taste, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe interesting. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe I'll try to give that uh, a listen. I think one of the things that we screen out, uh, Fortress has sent me a few lately, and they just really look like ads, kind of. Like, they just want to push either themselves as a guru or a product. And I'm not saying that's true of these guys, but if it looks a little too commercial, they just want to sell a product or a book or something, I I just kind of hit delete <laughs> because I don't want our listeners to have to go through that, right? We're, we're supposed to share some news and some tips and stuff like that. So. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Okay, on to the science news. I just have one. I stumbled across this um, from Claire Greenhill. This is from Nature Reviews Endocrinology. And she wrote a little tidbit called Toward Mimicking Cold Exposure. So listeners, if you're not familiar, cold exposure kicks up your metabolic rate, um, at least on some level, depending on the animal versus human model. Brown adipose tissue, right, which is the tissue that sort of uncouples a lot of calorie um, use. In other words, you kind of waste energy as heat and things like that. So there can be ramifications. Anyway, they're homing in on a fat that mimics cold exposure. So this is, I thought this was cool for us to at least look at because I'm fascinated by specialty fats. And uh, so let me just share. The actual title of the article is, it's, it's Lynn's and colleagues, Nature Medicine 2017, brand new. Uh, the cold-induced lipokine 1213-dihome, H-O-M-E, promotes fatty acid transport into brown adipose tissue. And again, so I hate to say good, bad, but think brown adipose tissue, good, uh, for a lot of reasons. It says brown adipose tissue and beige adipose tissue, which is sort of a hybrid with the normal white fat, uh, combusts fuels for heat production in adult humans. And so constitutes an appealing target for the treatment of metabolic disorders such as obesity, diabetes, and hyperlipidemia, right? Altered blood fats. Cold exposure can enhance energy expenditure by activating brown adipose tissue. Uh, it says recently, and this is where it caught my eye nutritionally, lipids have been identified that are released from tissues and act locally or systemically to promote insulin sensitivity. So if you have a higher metabolic rate and better insulin sensitivity, uh, that to me that spells good things for physique or performance. Uh, we found that 1213-dihome, H-O-M-E, again, it's a, I, I don't want to bore you with the whole chemical name, fatty acid, uh, was increased in the circulation of humans and mice when they were exposed to cold. Further, we found uh, that enzymes that produce this particular fatty acid were uniquely induced in brown adipose tissue by cold stimulation. Okay, so cold stimulation kicks up this this, it's sort of the mechanism or one of the mechanisms by which 
cold makes you ramp up your metabolic rate and your insulin sensitivity. Um, further, just to sort of test it, the injection of this 1213-dihome acutely did activate brown adipose tissue fuel uptake and enhanced cold tolerance. So in other words, their metabolic rate is higher, they're warmer. Um, this also resulted in decreased levels of serum triglycerides, so blood fats. So I just think that's interesting. Again, I did my dissertation with a specialty fat that's not that unlike this. Um, it's 1213-dihydroxyoctadecanoic acid. So mm. pretty similar in some ways, at least, to what I've looked at. Uh, I was actually looking at it as more of an anti-catabolic and stress-reducing kind of thing when I looked at uh, CLA. But it looks like that family of compounds, yeah, and I mean, this is how it works. So if, if this is true, it, I mean, there's many steps here, but this is both animals and people. So if you eat this specialty fatty acid product, you know, could it rev your metabolism, make you warmer, burn some fat, make you more insulin sensitive, you know, um, burn some uh, blood fats, you know, or, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Did like, it say if that's available as a supplement or what foods you could find it in? And no. Maybe can you find it in any amounts or is it just kind of a mechanistic type study? Right. No, this is mechanism. It's too early for that. But yeah. I mean, uh, I would think you could eat something like this. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. This is yeah, injections. Yeah. yeah, this is injections into people and animals. But yeah, this is the the mechanism by which, you know, you've heard people like I've seen stuff in old medical books about guys who used to work on the Alaskan pipeline. They would tend yeah. to be like a little hyperthyroid. They'd have high metabolic rates. Their calorie needs were like 6,000 a day. Um, and this is sort of one of the underpinning yeah, mechanisms of that. So I guess I'm just telling listeners, keep your, your eye out. I don't know, maybe a supplement company will get a hold of something like this. Maybe you can, in fact, eat it. Um, at first glance, I don't see any reason why you couldn't, uh, but we'll see. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff with a novel um, fatty acid-type compound there. Look at all the free supplement advice we give out to people looking to create products. Oh, are you uh, <laughs> seriously, right? I mean, like stuff that's too early, but it's begging to be commercialized or at least drawn into some into, yeah, yeah. R&D or something, but... Yeah, but you had one, right, Mike? Uh, yes, this is super cool. It's uh, open access. It's in uh, cell metabolism. It's a very nice review uh, titled Metabolic Flexibility in Health and Disease. Uh, this is by Dr. Brett Goodpasture and Dr. Lauren Sparks. And what I liked about this is it's a, I mean, cells had some really pretty amazing reviews over the past couple of years and very, you know, highly accredited journal. And so for people that are looking at what is metabolic flexibility and what is kind of the new state of research, they did a really good job going back to all the earlier work, uh, the newer stuff. And what I think is useful for lifters kind of looking, one, if they really get into the topic, it's an open access, so they can go pull it. And what's interesting, too, is that they had a really nice chart um, comparing the fuel usage by a healthy individual and then someone who was uh, diabetic. And they put them in a metabolic chamber. And what you can see is very pronounced differences in the body's ability to primarily use fat, uh, especially during uh, sleeping and during rest. And then on the flip side, in people who have you know, different disease processes, they actually can have an impairment in the use of carbohydrates during exercise. 
And they also had a really nice uh, graph showing all the different differences between uh, changes in muscle uh, fatty acid oxidation, glucose use, lipolysis, and everything like that. Um, so the basis of metabolic flexibility is that it's interesting in the fitness world. You have all these people arguing about, you know, oh, fats are good and fats are bad and carbs are good and carbs are bad. And the reality is it depends on what you're actually trying to do at that time. And neither one is good or bad. You actually want the ability to use both at like the highest degree. So if you're weightlifting, you want the ability to use carbohydrates to the highest degree. You can look at different disease models there and see severe impairments if people can't store glycogen, McCartle's disease. Um, and on the flip side, you know, especially more for health, you want the ability to use fat at a higher rate. Um, Debatable if does that carry over to exercise performance or not. It's probably a different subtopic. Um, but, you know, if you're just hanging out, you know, relaxing or even between training sessions, you probably don't want your carbohydrate use to be sky high all the time. You want to downshift to use fats at that time. So people are looking for a pretty nice review on that. They can just uh, do a little Google search for cell metabolism, metabolic flexibility, and health and disease 2017. Sweet. Yeah, I wish I had a quarter for every time one of us said it depends on your goals at the moment. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know, from, from all of our the research supporting that says the same thing, right? So, yeah. 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 Well, Phil, I know you just came off a of meet. Anything else happening in the, the world of powerlifting? No. I mean, well, I mean, I think we talked about it last week on Ed Cohn's record being beat. Yeah, uh, which was insane. That's one of those records that I think everybody figured it would just last forever. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised by that, to be honest. I didn't yeah. think that was going to fall anytime soon. No, and it had been like 26 years. But the sad thing is, is that the guy, like two weeks prior, he won that big open meet in California and was in front of a huge crowd and didn't pull that deadlift. And then he goes back to Russia two <laughs> weeks later and he's in front of like 14 friends. Right. <laughs> smaller meat and pulls away it'd been neat to pull that at, yeah. a, at such a huge a huge meat but still nonetheless i mean it's an amazing feat yeah. um especially for a young man do you think that was a psychological thing just the crowd or yeah, it just... could be i don't know i mean yeah it's a he's only i think 26 years old or something like oh. that oh wow so yeah so That's he's got crazy. a ways ahead of him so if he can stay healthy and I, I don't know, that's something that me and, uh, you know, other coaches that I know have been talking about is where are all this, like 10 years ago when I was first going for 800, like seven was big, mm -hmm. you know, and eight was like, holy moly. And now it's, everybody's got an 800 pound deadlift, Yeah, you know? And it's, I mean, I can't believe it's, the drugs haven't come that far as far as I know. No, I agree. You know, um, and it's got to be something different with the training. And the only thing we've come up with is these kids have learned that, like when I started, it's like you deadlifted one day a week, you squatted one day a week. And now they these guys are starting off with a lot more frequency mm. and getting their bodies used to it a lot earlier. Um, and they're making this crazy progress. Now, are they going to still be lifting when they're 40? I don't know. Right. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, yep. That remains to be seen. Uh, yep. Uh, so yeah, I don't know because I mean you look at like Ed Cohn and stuff like that. He didn't peak until ten years past this kid. Yeah, you know? late thirties. So uh, you know our 
and that's the same thing with me. I be I did my best lifting to date in my mid thirties. You know. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It it's just a depends. good. Yeah, that's a good insight. Like, are they because they're young, they can recover faster and the frequency can be high. But are yeah. they going to essentially burn out by the time they're thirty? Exactly. I don't know because yeah. there's only you got to guess. There's only so much the the human body can handle because I mean you're seeing people like me and everybody else getting hip replacements all in our forties. Yeah. So are they going to be getting hip replacements in their thirties? You know? Yeah. Because they they did just as many reps under just as much load, but at a much younger age. You know that you know, reminds know. me of like when you read like NSCA textbooks and whatnot. The official sort of conclusion is that heavy lifting doesn't cause things like osteoarthritis. Now, I know you're a special case with, you know, because of the accident when you got yeah. run over and everything when you were young, but it, it does make me think, you know how oftentimes, Phil, you will say a lot of these, like, um, 1RM charts, they're not based on elite guys at all. That stuff breaks down in elite guys. You know, like if you say, oh, 90% of your 1RM, you could do like four times. Well, mm -hmm. not in the elite guys, and I feel like yeah. I feel like that translates to this, right? That, that maybe osteoarthritis doesn't set in in sort of mortals <laughs> who mm -hmm. are lifting pretty damn hard, but not heroically hard. Mm -hmm. But the super elite guys, it, the heavy heavy lifting does in fact take a toll. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Do you think part of that is just the fact that they've had obviously? different and probably better information, as you said, but also being exposed to heavier lifts more frequently with the internet and just people pulling heavier. So that becomes almost more of their new normal. I mean, back when Ed Cohn was breaking records, it, I don't think it was just, you just didn't see it that much either. No, I think a lot of that's true. I think it's like anything else. It's just like when the first, you know, four minute mile was broken. Now, yeah. can, you know, it's just knowing that it's possible is yeah. a big part of it. You know, you're not doing the unknown. So, uh, you know, once something's done, it's easier to do it again. Just like the, you know, sure, we've still only seen a few thousand pound deadlifts, but mm -hmm. after it happened once, it started happening yeah. again and again. So. Yeah, I've always looked at Ed as sort of the Michael Jordan of powerlifting. You know, he was mm -hmm. so gifted, and he was the first one breaking all these barriers, you know. And in some ways, Arnold was like that with bodybuilding, Arnold and Franco, you know, before they came along, arguably pro bodybuilding wasn't what it became but yeah it's interesting that the psychological stuff can't be overlooked i guess just th their perception yeah. of what's normal you know yeah crazy yep so all right yeah other than that i don't know i mean there's not there's not any huge meets coming up jesse burdick just announced his record breakers meet um which happens every november i'm bringing a big crew up there Oh, that's cool. Um, we're we're going to put Kansas on the map. So, yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we all got together and decided, everybody here in Kansas, the most of them that I coach, it's like, let's all just roll up there together. And so I think we're bringing 12 or 14 people. Oh, uh, nice. And they're all like the weakest guy we're bringing, total of 1,900 as a junior. Oh, so, oh Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, we're rolling up in there loaded. Yeah, loaded. So, uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to come out and try and make a statement, you know, in front of a big crowd in Northern California and be like, where are all these freaking farm boys coming from? Right. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it should be fun. But uh, yeah, and then bring in a few ladies too. you know, numerous yeah. ones looking to be squatting and pulling 400 plus by then. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go out and have some fun. That's the big thing coming up for us. We got a few little test meets and things going on. 
Um, and as far as my gym goes, I'm hitting that season where, as you guys know, you guys are both professors, college year is ending. So oh, all yeah. these kids are coming home and they're like, I need a place to train during the off season. So here they come running into my gym. So, right. Is that a good thing or a, or a bad no, that's thing? Good. Yeah. yeah. I'd love like all the athletes coming in and whatnot. They're very serious and, uh, you know, they're, they're fun to deal with. So I don't mind that at all and helping them get, uh, you know, get and stay in shape for the summer. You know, before like spring ball starts and right. stuff like that. The the only disheartening thing to me is I send them away and they're like jacked and strong and fast and then they go through two days <laughs> and they like lose twenty pounds and they're like, God, I'm so weak. So uh, yeah, I could see you're you're like you're ruining my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're a shadow of their former self, but uh, no, they got to get in game shape at that point. You know, that's no, what right. the job is then. Sure. So, uh. You know, if I can get them big and strong and fast before they go in and able to endure that, great. So, and right. keep them healthy. That was so, always that's my. Kinda, yeah. That's always you what more I did more with people doing coaches. more off-season training now, or has it been kind of about the same the last few years? Mm, the serious ones. Yeah, you, you have that whole group that they just drink all summer. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and that's why I don't mind it because the ones that come, I don't, I don't advertise. The ones that come knocking yeah. on my door are the ones that are serious, so I know they're they're in there to get stuff done. So, yeah. Uh, is it sort you know, of a split though that you end up with? I got the athletes over here and the powerlifting crowd over here. No, we all kind of work together, which is good. Oh, okay. Um, now we all kind of feed off of each other. You know, we got the Olympic lifters and got my kids and got everybody else, and they kind of all cheer for each other, so it works out well. Um, and the way I run things is different than I don't know. It's it. I've been told numerous times it's controlled chaos because a lot of places <laughs> you go to, it's like. Okay, you come in at five thirty. You're out of here at six thirty, and I don't run it that way. Uh, you know, people people that have jobs and stuff just don't have a life like that. So, you know, basically, I let them come in when they can come in, and they leave when they're done. So, and that's what I was explaining to one of uh, I've got a a wrestler that's starting on Monday, and it's like, you know, some of my Olympic weightlifters they might be in here two and a half hours, and it's like we work until. It's not like we're doing 60 minutes. We're doing the work. And if it takes you that long, it takes you that long. You know? Yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever it takes to get the job done. So, um, you know, there's days you're not feeling great. There's days that some of my lifters fly through what they're doing because they're feeling amazing. And it's like, good, get out of here, go home and rest. But other days they, they're dragging butt and they just know they got to get their job done. So. Right. I love that total, <laughs> that, the total dose approach, right? Like, here's yeah. the dose of what you need this week. I don't care how long it takes you, but... You're going to get this much volume, you know, intensity and volume. It's good stuff. Kind of poor man's auto-regulation. I don't mean that as a slight at all. I think that's a, a good way of making sure in the easiest way fashionable, other than logistics, that they're, like Lonnie said, they're getting in what they need to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. in recent years, the, the federal government was doing that with the gen pop with cardio type stuff, like the concept of met minutes, you know, get this yeah. much intensity over this much volume, and we don't care how you do it this week kind of thing you know it's, yeah just get in this many hours a week yeah and it's yeah, you know no, i believe in that too i mean yeah it's like nutrition right nobody's gonna say you got to get all your vitamin c at breakfast uh just yeah. <laughs> get it in i don't care when you get it in you know it's total dose it's a neat concept all right let's go to break uh when we come back we're gonna talk about uh supplements and food strategies that work and our first installment will be anabolics
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie and Mike, and we're going to talk about uh, supplements and food strategies that work. Uh, and the first installment is going to be things that are more or less anabolic. And I need to qualify that because I don't mean anabolic in the sense like performance-enhancing drugs, right? There's, there's really there's not a lot of food and supplement strategies that are going to make you 270 pounds in shape, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, having said that, uh, Phil, let's let's go with you. Uh, what things do you think probably do stimulate muscle growth? Jeez, uh, <laughs> <laughs> dropping it legal on things. Um, yeah. <laughs> what would you do? Like, if you're like, I I need to put on some mass, like, or or your your team. How do you go about that? Like when it comes to foods and supplements. Honestly, still the biggest thing I think I see people lacking in. Is they're just not they think they're getting in enough protein but they've never tracked it mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that I'll find somebody getting close to one gram per pound of body weight without tracking it they think they're eating a lot but that's more than people think it is you know yeah especially for uh, you know your 200 plus pound males oh definitely uh, yep you know because they end up a lot of them what I see is they'll end up with and it's not a bad thing like greasier options and things like that um, they're getting enough calories, 
but they're not getting you know adequate protein levels usually like cookies um, cookies and stuff yeah. like that yeah. and you know there's only so much protein in pizza pizza's amazing i'm not knocking it <laughs> but it's not that's that thing you reach and that's why you know my deal is what i try and do is like i have a baseline diet here's what i need when i'm gaining and then it's like okay the pizza fills into the get calories in area i don't even you know that's the excess yeah so yeah uh you know it's like get in your get in your baseline proteins and stuff like that meats and cheeses and dairy and then add on the donuts and pizza and french fries you know to reinforce what you yep. just said uh, those the diet records of the the student projects i was just looking at yeah it's surprising like some of them are like i i would have thought i was getting more of x y or z and i until i did a three-day diet log and analyzed it with some software i didn't realize oh my god i'm getting 70 grams of protein a day you know yep. because they're not I, yeah you're right and you know i'll tell you i just um i was just authoring a, a segment of a manuscript and i put it into that that gram per pound or if you want to do it per kg I, I created a range of a small individual and then a fairly large. And I went all the way up to like 280-pound individuals. And I thought, oh, my God, you're talking about like 280 grams of protein a day. You've got to make a serious, intentional drive to consume that much protein. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just eat a ton and think you're going to get there necessarily. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Dr. Nelson, what about you? So evidence-based things that are almost certainly – anabolic in nature yeah i mean it's kind of boring but you know we talked about uh, protein you know we've had a lot of discussions you know on that and if people aren't you know getting that from whole food they can use a supplement for that um a couple others that i think are interesting obviously carbohydrates are going to be one i think a lot of people i look at for their nutrition stuff especially if they're lifters it, it, it goes in trends, but I see a lot more now people who are just scared to death of eating carbohydrates again for some odd reason, but mm -hmm. it's media, yeah. other things like that. Um, and you add carbohydrates just before or even after exercise, and they're like, oh, my God, my performance is so much better, and I don't feel like dog crap when I'm lifting. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think further down the line, we'll probably talk about these two, but you could argue creatine whether that's from a cell swelling effect or not, yeah, probably debatable, but from the increased ability to do a little bit more work. And then, as you know, Lonnie, fish oil is interesting in that regards. There's some studies, especially we've talked about in the past, in older individuals. Um, is it, you know, a massive sort of anabolic type thing? Yeah, probably not. But I think if you're deficient in it, which a lot of people are getting back, so you're not so deficient, it's definitely going to help. Yeah. You know, I actually did some back-of-the-envelope calculations when I was a master's student about uh, creatine in that regard. Like, if creatine is, in fact, anabolic, and it looks like it is mildly anabolic, like you said, either from self-swelling perspective or maybe just energetically, you know, you have a better mm -hmm. energy pool in a muscle. Um, but it, it was sort of small. <laughs> like, the effect in actual tissue gain, it, it didn't look anything like you might might expect but it's almost like these are things that you would think about uh as part of a total package right like you're talking about carbohydrates i mean there's so many possibilities with that not so much just the insulin is anabolic it's probably not right we were just talking mm -hmm. about that um, but whether it's anti-catabolic or 
the fact that you just have limited glycogen stores. You know, people only can store, you know, several hundred grams of, of carbohydrate in their muscles and liver. And so you're topping off your tank, you know, and what that, that itself, even with the carbs, just like with the creatine, maybe that causes a little bit of cell swelling and that's an anabolic signal. Or maybe you get a few more reps because, like you said, you're not fatigued. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a super training effect from stuff like creatine and, and bringing in the carbs, you know. So, and I think yeah. just carbohydrates to help combat just stress overall because um, you're going to you know increase insulin a little bit which is going to be the opposite action and whether that's a training stress or lifestyle stress because i've seen people go the opposite direction where their lifestyle is relatively stressful they're, they're trying to train hard they're really pushing volume they get away with it for a while and then they read some crazy article and they drop their carbs and all the wheels just fall off. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I can tell you, I mean, I've seen, and this is just anecdotal, right? But twice yeah. I've seen guys that I knew quite well, um, n not natural. <laughs> okay. And they would get ready. They'd start dieting for a show and they would listen to some guru and he would pull all of their carbohydrates almost in week one. And oh, I God. watched these guys, both of them, were roughly 270-pound guys, just jacked. And they one of them competed as a middleweight. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, so he had lost, like, a, over 100 pounds. And I'm like, Ooh. dude, you look like you just lost 50-50 muscle and fat. That's, that's not good. So clinically, right, carbohydrates are protein-sparing. That's something that we've, we've talked about in nutrition dietetics for decades, right? You, they preserve lean mass on some level. So even if it's not a pure, purely anabolic effect, you know, with insulin as a mechanism, which it's probably not. Um, but then there's the things that we were talking about in recent weeks, too, like um, maybe lower sodium diets, getting away from the processed junk, you know, living at Taco Bell, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's good to get away from that. Maybe sodium is does have a catabolic influence. And if anybody's surprised at that, go back and listen uh, to the uh, last episode or two. Um, or even uh, uh, some of these diets that are a little more alkaline in nature. So just lots of fruits and vegetables. Maybe there's something uh, to that. Like if you go back and look, people who are acidotic, they are breaking down lean tissue. Now, I'm not mm. pretending that you can swing your blood pH very far at all, a few hundredths of a point maybe, right, because of you know, you know metabolism, homeostasis, because you, you can't go too far. You'll have serious problems. But some some aspect of this right that maybe there's something to the processed foods and um like yorn uh, tromelin was talking about the other week boy that if it fits your macro guys they don't want to hear that right that maybe there are things in fruits and vegetables that are good that we really need to build mass and maybe there are some mm -hmm. things in processed foods other than the macros that are causing you some problems yeah. you know yeah the big thing i've noticed on that is with clients and myself is uh joint pain and it doesn't always work but i've noticed that just by dramatically increasing the micronutrition in their diet especially through a lot of vegetables different colors some fruits um, usually with even in a couple of weeks sometimes a lot of their joint pain goes down pretty dramatically um i did a i'd say it's probably a pretty stupid experiment a couple of years ago which i don't recommend where i started doing super heavy uh, partial squats to basically give myself knee pain oh <laughs> and then i dramatically increased my fruit and vegetables to see if it would help and eh, it actually did help 
Yeah, this so. reminds me of, you, I, I think you guys might remember, decades ago, there was this um, lung cancer study where they were showing that people who are smokers, if they ate lots yeah. of um, colorful vegetables, especially orange colored vegetables, and they had reduced risk, so they, they fed them all beta carotene. They said it must be that, antioxidant, anti-cancer, mm -hmm. let's do that, and it made them worse and they actually stopped the trial. And again, this is so old, it's probably not even in the newer textbooks. But the conclusion was these phytochemicals work in unknown, very complex combinations, right? And so you try to single out one thing, and it's not always that easy. Nature is just more complicated than that. You know, so to your point with the joint pain, maybe something, something like that as well. So, yeah, and every time we look smaller, you see smaller, right? And you've done some research on vitamin E, Lonnie, so you've got your different forms of vitamin E. And then if you look below that, you've got, you know, tocotrienols, which are sort of quote unquote derivatives of vitamin E. And these are just the things that we've just been able to identify. Right. Yep. Um, before we go on uh, to things that probably uh, that are popular, probably don't work. Um, I, I just feel like we'd be remiss. We'd be yelled at by some of our friends who they would want us to say, well, what about leucine? And, you know, let's face it, the leucine content of a meal is clearly related to the protein synthesis effect, the anabolic effect. That doesn't necessarily mean more is better, you know, but if we're talking doses, you know, whey is popular not just because it's fast acting, it supplies all these amino acids, but it gives you that requisite amount of leucine in a typical scoop, you know, so I don't know, three grams of leucine, something like that. Uh, as far as dose of overall protein, that seems to be getting more liberal in the in the literature these days. Like instead of 20 grams, people are more willing to say 40 or even 70. You write for for maximum, not just the protein synthetic response, but whether it's the anti-catabolic response, whether it's on a whole body level versus just muscle or whatever. But they are getting a little bit looser. So something like if you think four meals a day with 40 to 70 protein, you've got to pretty much focus, like Phil was saying, on protein in order to get that much in you know, quality proteins too. So uh, yeah, yeah. And the simplest recommendation I give people, especially if it's a, a male lifter that's a little bit bigger and I know that their protein intake is super low. I'm like, just do the four by 40 approach. Just do four meals at 40 grams of protein. Yeah. Take your scale, figure out exactly what different types of protein in a 40 gram amount looks like. So protein scoop, that's about two scoops. And if you just focus on that for a couple of weeks and that works incredibly well and it's super simple too yeah i think a lot of people i once had a kid at airport i've mentioned before um it might have been on the way back from one of the seminars uh that you and i were at mike but they um he, the, the guy said i don't get it i'm eating 350 grams of protein a day i'm like well i think Ooh. that's your problem because you're so full you're so satiated you don't get enough cookies <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like phil you know <laughs> All these, all you guys sending each other batches of cookies to put weight back on and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying cookies are the best choice for an anabolic agent, but, hey. but you know, <laughs> there's something to that, right? Like you were saying, Phil, the actual energy, the calorie load of having carbs and even some sugar, some fats in there, instead of just focusing on the building blocks. Now, I, and Yorn made a good point that you know, amino acids, they're not just building blocks, they're also triggers for growth. Uh, but having said that, yeah, too much of it, I think you're gonna be too full. Protein's not really the best fuel source. Your body's trying to use protein for other, many other things, immune function and structures and everything else. Uh, 
Yeah, so overdoing the protein, I think it backfires, actually. You become a higher level, like, protein oxidizer, which some people don't think is bad. Some do, whatever. Um, But, yeah, mostly you're just so full of something that you need some actual fuel, and carbs and fats are the fuels. So pull back, like you said, I mean, four times 40, that's only 160 grams of protein a day. That's a lot for gen pop. Yeah. But for us, yeah, it's actually pretty moderate. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so we've got, like, whey protein and leucine, just total dose of protein, uh, fuels like carbs, um, creatine, probably on that list. I I didn't want to believe that creatine was truly anabolic in nature, but some of the earlier stuff that Mark Tarnopolsky was publishing, he made it pretty clear, you know, that it it does have that. And, again, you add all this up, like you're saying, the fat choices, the, the creatine, uh, quality proteins and stuff like that. All these things do add up, even if it's just a few percent each over the course of a year. That could that could make a big difference, you know. So, um, all right, things that don't work. Let me toss out two things. This might stimulate your thinking. One, I would say uh, testosterone booster supplements. That's something that's been around since I was a kid. Um, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get more than a few percent increase in total or free testosterone, if they work at all. Uh, I'm just not a fan. You know, there's a lot of herb stuff out there, like uh, Vitex was around and Tribulus, and there's different things. Uh, I would not focus on that. Certainly when you talk about bang for the buck, you know, uh, I'd rather have 50 grams of protein in some of Phil's cookies, frankly, than a a bunch of, you know, encapsulated herb uh, but So not a big fan of the testosterone boosters. Uh, we all know that, of course, physiological ranges of testosterone increase, even if these things worked, are not enough to make you huge and strong and jacked, right? It's just not going to make that much of a difference. When you see guys that use performance-enhancing meds, they are five or ten times off the scale when it comes to anabolics. And, you know, um, and I think Jorn, again, to refer back to him, we just spoke with him, but insulin's in that same ballpark, right? Pharmacologic doses, that's a different game than, than normal physiologic doses. But Yeah, so even if you're a guy and you're taking, let's say, your testosterone level from, say, 500 to 700 as a percentage, that's a, a massive increase. And, yeah, maybe you'll feel a little bit different. But like you said, Lonnie, there's only been uh, one study that was ever done by that even looked at that sort of normal physiologic range from middle to maybe closer to high middle. And they did a study where they chemically castrated guys back in the mid 90s and then replaced it with uh, testosterone and anthate in different uh, levels. And if you're in the kind of the normal range, you didn't really see any difference in terms of increased muscle or that type of thing. Yep. I will say this. I have known guys on hormone replacement therapy, and they're probably not above the physiological range. But I do think if you go through life like at 900 on a thousand scale, yeah. you, you are going to look and feel better than if you're at 300. That's, that's oh, yeah. for sure. But yeah. yeah. Now you're talking about end range. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but still, arguably within the physiologic range, although, yep. yeah, this isn't from an herbal pill. This is from actual replacement like with a gel or something you know but so it, yeah it is worth noting that there you, it's not like nothing happens in the physiologic range but um what else doesn't work as an anabolic strategy um 
I would actually throw out probably vitamin D. Not to say that if you're deficient in vitamin D, you should walk around being deficient in vitamin D. Um, but some of the work that's been done is it's really kind of hit or miss in terms of... Because initially when I looked into it, I thought, okay, if you're deficient in vitamin D, you're definitely you know sort of hindering your muscle building capacity. But some of the newer stuff, it's not quite that clear. Um, so I think you probably should be in a, a nice range for vitamin D, but in terms of muscle building and that type of thing, it's didn't, at least as far as I can tease out, didn't have as much of an effect as I, I thought it would. Yeah, that's sort of that few percent rule, you know, like you right. might get out of creatine or this or that. There are there have been some neat meta-analyses that vitamin D might increase strength a little, especially if you're low D to begin with. Now, arguably, most people mm -hmm. are. But also, from your perspective, like we're talking about testosterone, yeah, a, a lot of the testosterone-enhancing effects of D are probably in guys that are pretty low T to begin with, right? Right, so, yeah, low T and low vitamin D, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, Phil, what do you see? Do you see people making um, mistakes? They're trying to grow, um, and they're spinning their wheels doing something stupid? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Too much you to choose. That, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as eating goes, again, it's just not eating enough. But as far as training goes, most people trying to get bigger and stronger are doing too much. Okay. And I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they just, they, oh, I'm going to eat twice as much and I'm going to train three times as much. It doesn't work that way, dude. You still yeah. only have so much recovery ability. Um, and, you know, I can, I've can i gotten numerous people to make progress by backing off. You know, it's, it's not the quantity so much as it is the quality of training. Yeah. You know. Junk reps and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. You're just beating yourself down. You know, at, at some point, you need to do enough to stimulate a some growth or some progress, but not enough to, you know, overstimulate that. Basically, just enough to recover from, and okay, come back again. Now, do just enough to recover from, and yeah, over years, and that's one thing people have seen with me. Like even now, I mean, I can uncork it and work circles around a lot of my guys, but I've got twenty five years of doing it behind me. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's sort of relative, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I've built up an ability to recover better. Um, so that that comes over time. You can't just come out of the gates and I'm going to go from being a couch potato to doing this and 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 expect to recover from that. It's really so, hard to get people un unlearned from that idea that more is better. They do it with supplements. They do it with reps <coughs> in the gym. But I yeah. think a lot of people forget. That you could get in a positive energy balance, not just from not just from eating plates of cookies. I'm really on the cookies today, but <laughs> but also by doing less, like learning to be lazy, like train for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or something, and then go home and eat and sit on the couch or on your off days. Don't go do heavy cardio. That's your off day. You know, yeah. you could get in a positive energy balance by actually doing less, not just eating more. I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Probably similar to that too is that, and I don't know if fancy name is called polarized training now or, or whatever. But you know, if you're going to go lift heavy and today's a strength day, then you know lift heavy, keep the quality up there. Like Phil was saying, if it's you know hypertrophy, you know do some good volume, but don't beat yourself into the ground. And if it's an off day, just 
take a couple walks during the day, you know, get up, move around, but you know, don't try to run seven miles and beat yourself back into the ground again. Yeah. Back from, I remember Phil and Rob and I, we were all big proponents of just Get your ass out and walk. If you want to recover, yeah. you know, you want to feel like you're doing some activity because you're not crossing these stress thresholds and stuff. And let's face it, a bigger man, especially, you go out for a brisk walk, that's a little more intense than you might think. You know, that's a, that's a heavy, heavy load to move around, I guess. Um, I'll throw in one last thing about what I think doesn't probably work, and this isn't going to make a lot of supplement companies happy. But after years, I'm still surprised that these NO products are so saturating the market. Uh, a lot of the claims were that if you open capillary beds and you move in more blood, then you know, you'll know you bring in more nutrients and it'll cause growth. And we've talked about this on the show before, so I won't belabor it, but Mike and I, we saw, um, we were at Experimental Biology a few years ago, I think, and they just straight up opened people's vascular beds massively with pharmaceuticals. And unless there were amino acids and hormones and you know all the right cocktail in there, it didn't do squat for protein synthesis. So opening vascular beds in itself, I think the question you need to ask, and I've seen this repeatedly at ISSN and other people who study this stuff, what do you think that's doing? Like whether or not a product can open up and vasodilate your vascular beds, um, what do you think that's actually doing? Because it's probably not anabolic. I'll just say that, right? I'm not saying there might not be some other exercise-related effect, potentially. But in and of itself, vasodilation doesn't make you more anabolic. And like I said, I, I've just, we've seen that straight up. So um, probably better yeah. things that you can do, like we we're talking about, total daily dose of protein or protein per meal, creatine. Oh, but I should also mention, I digress here, but... Leucine by itself or branched-chain amino acids by themselves, if there's not other protein in that meal, probably not doing a whole lot. I mean, as far as immediate anabolism, right? Because you need those other amino acids present as building blocks when you trigger the system. So, yeah. Lots and there of is some data to show that metabolic stress from you know, a byproduct of that, I would say, is possibly getting a pump. Uh, may be beneficial for muscle hypertrophy, but the other part people have to keep in mind there too is that you're actually doing muscular work at the same time, right? So you're you're also still applying tension to the muscle. It's like you said, Lonnie, that if we just chemically open up the vascular area, eh, not much happens, you know. But if you're, you know, doing something, you're doing more mechanical work, you know, that can help. And the other part that people forget too is that one of the compounds that is most beneficial for dilating local blood flow is insulin so yep. i've had people use like vitargo or other you know carbohydrates that pump up insulin levels before training and they're like oh my training was so much better oh i actually got a pump this was like more fun I'm like oh good you yeah. didn't need 17 grams of arginine <laughs> no yeah well that's very similar what i said for years how about two scoops of whey protein and a couple bananas and a shake. That, that's yeah. going to jack your insulin. It's going to flood your your um, bloodstream with uh, amino acids and leucine. There you go. There's your, you know, vasodilation, you know, stuff like that. Plus, you're getting all the nutrients in, in the same package. Yeah. You know, so. Okay. Well, that's not a huge list, right? But uh, calories, <laughs> protein, um don't overdo it in the gym. Supplement companies sponsoring our show. <laughs> no, right. That's why we're public supported. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, because then you don't feel the pressure, you know, uh, to exaggerate something. Uh, you know, but yeah, some of these things can be good, right? And, yeah. Uh, a few percent across the board like this, and uh, and, and I don't want to get into the stuff like stimulants. That's that's a talk for another day. But um, again, with the idea of like a super training effect. But yeah, directly anabolic. I, I think that covers the basis. Mm-hmm. Okay, fellas, we're maybe a little short today, but I have to get back to grading a ridiculous stack of uh, nutrient analysis projects. So. Mm, good All times. Right. All right. Well, uh, catch you later. See you next week. Right. See you guys. Bye bye. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.